On the first episode of the Give Rise podcast, I host guest Lindsay Walter. Lindsay is a 52-time marathon runner who has completed distances of 100 miles and greater on multiple occasions. Lindsay is a published author and motivational speaker who has inspired so many people across the world through her story, not just through running, but why running means so much to her. At age two, Lindsay was diagnosed with alopecia universalis, which is total hair loss across her entire body. She has had to learn to embrace all of who she is and find the beauty in her outward appearance and really own all circumstances and adversity that may stand in her way as a result. Now, she is a beacon of hope and light for all those who struggle with something similar. She created a pen pal program called Lindsay's Little Pals and continues to want to do more for her community and those who struggle with alopecia. So without further ado, here's the conversation I had with Lindsay Walter. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Give Rise podcast. I am super excited because I have an incredible first guest for this podcast. Her name is Lindsay Walter. We have known each other for quite some time, and I think it's going to be an amazing conversation with some life-enriching stories for her to share And the premise of this podcast is ultimately to elevate other people's stories so that way, in turn, everyone listening can hopefully be inspired and elevate their own lives as well. And so without further ado, I want to introduce Lindsay. Lindsay is a published author, motivational speaker, ultramarathon runner, and just such a beacon of light for everybody that she interacts with. And I'm very excited to have her on the show today. Lindsay, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited for this because for everyone that doesn't know, I met Lindsay after I saw her story actually at the Rock and Roll San Diego Marathon. That was after the first time that she ran without a wig at a full distance marathon event. I saw her story, was super inspired by it. And then the following year was able to actually meet her at the starting line of the same event, which meant a lot to me because she had inspired a lot of what ultra running really comes down to to me. And that is the embodiment of community and the ability to have resiliency through anything that you are going through and to make the most of life. And so I have been very honored to be in touch with Lindsay through this all. And of course, she's been a mentor of mine too throughout some of my races that I have done. And we'll touch on that further. But Lindsay, first, I wanted to ask you uh, the question about the story of the first time that you took off your wig, because from my understanding, it was during a training run before Rock and Roll San Diego. Yep, yep, that's right. Um, it was during the 20-mile training run. Um, I live in Charlotte, so I mean, it's hot, it's humid. I lost my hair when I was two years old, and I wore a wig pretty much like since I was in preschool, really, since I could remember. And I played high school basketball with it, college basketball with it. And it was something that I just went to extremes to hide. I used double-sided tape. I dealt with a lot of bullying, with a lot of teasing. I was like just very self-conscious and isolated. And um, yeah, once I finished college basketball, I ran my first marathon, took up running and loved it. And it was really through running that I learned to really love and embrace myself, my alopecia and my bald head. I think something about running versus like team sports, team sports are great and they teach you so much. 
But my favorite thing about running is that it's you against you. You're the one putting in the work. I mean, if you put in the work, like good things will happen. If you don't, then, you know, it, you know, things kind of go the other way. And so just the more I was running, the more I felt so empowered and strong. And it's really when I started to come to kind of grips with my reality that I never wanted to face that my alopecia, that that's just is what I have. Like my hair is never coming back. And so the more I was running marathons, getting confidence in myself, the more that was kind of carrying over into my alopecia and kind of everyday life. I started off with, you know, simple tasks of like going to the grocery store without my wig on, telling a close friend about it. So it was kind of small things like that over months kind of leading up to that training run. But again, something also about the 20 mile training run, like when you're training for a marathon is like so empowering. And just remember like, all of these small things. It was early in the morning. I was out there feeling really good. And I had turned the corner on the screenway and I, yeah, took my wig off. And even though there was no one around me because it was so early, it was the first time I had ever done something like that in public. It was the first time where I held my wig in my hand because for the longest time, I thought my wig was like the most beautiful thing. I thought, you know, like this is what's going to make me beautiful. And this is what's going to make me happy, you know, wearing this wig and just being like everybody else. But I just remember holding it in my hand. It was so knotted up. It smelled terrible. And it was like really the first time I looked at it and was like, wow, there's actually nothing beautiful about this. Like, this isn't me and it hasn't been me. But I just never also knew how to tell people that, you know, I didn't feel comfortable with my wig on. It didn't really feel like me. I just felt so much pressure to kind of blend in with all of my peers. And it's kind of all I knew. But I knew once I took it off and I like held it in my hand that I was going to be okay. And I ran home with it and I hung it up in the shower. And it was the first time I really looked at myself in the mirror. I just remember, remember this moment so vividly, just, you know, like touching my bald head and really looking at my facial features and, you know, thinking like so positively of myself. Whereas for the longest time, I hated to look in the mirror. I would brush my teeth and I would, you know, look the other way or like, walk, you know, out of the bathroom, just so I wouldn't have to look at myself when I, you know, my first license says that I have blue eyes, but actually have green eyes. I was just, I just dreaded looking at myself so much. Um, But yeah, that was the first time I ever really took my wig off kind of in public. And then I flew out to San Diego. I didn't bring it with me because I knew if I brought it, I would possibly be tempted to wear it. Um, I also love the thought of being, you know, across the country where, you know, I'm not going to run into anyone. No one's going to know me. Um, yeah, Rock and Roll San Diego, that was my first marathon without without my wig. And it was incredible and such a great experience. I knew once I crossed that finish line that, yeah, alopecia is going to be really hard and this is going to be a big adjustment. But it was the first time I felt something really positive about my alopecia. And I knew that like I was going to be okay. Like it was going to be a challenge, but that I would get, I, I would get through it. And that's super powerful in itself because as you mentioned, you knew it wasn't going to be easy after that, but you were able to embody and own what you were and, and are and then get to move forward with, you know, such positivity and momentum that you probably never had before. And I can only imagine holding the wig at mile 20 of that run and feeling the way that you did. And so that's really incredible. And now, did you have uh, any hesitations or any uh, worries about how it was going to be received at San Diego when you ran the, the full marathon? Um, yes, definitely. I kind of honestly went back and forth for a couple days about should I bring my wig? Should I not? I was very indifferent. I was just very nervous just because I think for me, my biggest thing and like one of my 
just like biggest fears about malopecia is like someone thinking or calling me a boy, someone calling me ugly and just sticking out. Like when you don't have hair, you stick out from everybody else and people will stare whether it's intentional or not. Like people do stare, you know, they do a double take and all of that. And that was such a big moment to be in, you know, because it's a marathon, like that's thousands and thousands of people. It's not just like a small little group of 10 people. So to be like in such a huge group setting like that, it definitely like made me nervous. That's why I knew like I wasn't going to bring it at all because I think like had I brought it with me possibly the night before, I just remember sitting in the hotel, just having all of these emotions, but um, just knowing the wig wasn't there, there was no option to wear it. But I think had it been there, I would have been a lot more tempted to possibly wear it. Um, but yeah, I was very nervous about just people, whether they're strangers or not. Um, yeah, just kind of judging me and just like how selfish, like how self-conscious I felt as well. Um, yeah, just because it's not easy to be stared at. It's not easy for people, you know, to make negative remarks or anything. And just because it was like such a huge moment, I was really scared of like neg- negativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and rightfully so too. But it's amazing that you were able to uh, just really channel that into something positive and ultimately see a rally cry of support as a result of running this marathon and uh, showing your full self to other people. And by just running next to them or by them, and uh, whether it be a fellow runner or somebody who is spectating, I'm sure that just by you doing that, it was something that you might even not, might not even know how you impacted people that day. And that's probably a very special feeling. And I know for, for one, for me, that, that inspired me because I saw an Instagram post right after that race about it. And I thought, Oh my goodness, I really need to get in touch (laughs) with this person. And I'm so happy that we did because it's been amazing. Um, And so yeah, amazing story in general, just with that marathon, but how many marathons tell everyone, how many have you done currently? And what has been your farthest race? Um, So I've ran 52 marathons and my furthest race is six days in the dome, uh, which I did this past June. And for everybody who doesn't know, six days in the dome is exactly what you would expect it to be. It is six full (laughs) days of running on the indoor track and you're getting as many miles as you can within those six days. You have to factor in sleep, eating and anything you can imagine to get you as far as possible in those races. And Lindsay, how many miles did you do last year when you ran it for the first time? Uh, 300. 320, almost as many miles as there are days in a year, which is unbelievable. (laughs) And 324 sounds like an extreme number, but I know you have a more ambitious goal this coming year, which is 400, correct? Yes, correct. And when you are attempting these distances and you are trying to view these numbers and compartmentalize it into smaller segments, just trying to you know, graphs the grandeur of these, the challenges, what are some ways that you mentally approach these kinds of races, whether it be a marathon, a hundred miler, or even something like six days in the dome, how do you uh, prepare for that mentally? What are some of your ways that you like to uh, really engage with yourself beforehand to make it seem not as scary? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would say one of the biggest things is like, 
putting in the work in training. I feel like I obviously love to run. I love the long run. But the more work I put in, I feel so much more confident going into a race. I feel like when you've, you know, ran in cold weather at different times through the night, and you've kind of done all of this stuff, you feel so confident in that because you know, you've put in the work. And so you're, you know, coming to the start line, healthy and strong, knowing that you worked as hard as you possibly can. So I think like having that confidence that comes from actually like doing the work. Um, so that really helps. And also, you know, when I get into a race like that, like, yes, my goal is 400. But you know, starting off, it's like, you know, I'm going to run for three hours. And it's just, or you know, then I'm going to get a break. And then I'm going to do this, so, you know, going in with a plan. And instead of, you know, thinking like, okay, I've ran 20 miles, I have 380 more to go. I'm like, I think of it the exact opposite way. I'm like, okay, I've ran 20 miles, like, that's awesome. 20 miles in, okay, now we're at 40 miles in. So looking at how much I've done and feeling proud about that versus how much more I have to go. Because that is such a daunting feeling to think like, okay, I still have over 300 more miles to run. I think like you just can't get into that mindset because it is very overwhelming. And I think also, again, with the six day or even with like a hundred miler or something like that, just like breaking it into small little chunks, you know, celebrating the wins along the way. Like when you're feeling good, like ride out that high for as long as you can, because you know, like a low is going to happen. Like at some point, whether it's for a short time or a long time, like you're going to go through a rough patch. So when you're feeling good, just like really embrace that and like soak that in. And then when you do kind of hit that lull or that hard point, just like remember what your goal is, but then just remember like it doesn't last forever and think of like the positives and everything you've done to be there. And yeah, I think just like staying as positive as you, as you can. Yeah. I love that. But the heavy reliance on training and the build up to it is such an integral component and also just being able to take it into more bite-sized chunks as you progress throughout the race. Because when I was first thinking about running my first 100 miler, uh, I reached out to you with some questions about this. And that was one of the pieces of advice that you gave me was to take it into smaller bite-sized chunks as you were going through the race. And whether it be from A station to A station or loop by loop, at least it makes it so that way it doesn't seem like there is a huge amount of time to go. It's more so, okay, I need to get to the next checkpoint and, and just keep on chugging along after that. And so I think that's such a valuable piece of advice for people who are experienced in ultra running and also people who are getting into the trail scene, looking to uh, begin their adventure in some of these longer distances. And I noticed that you mentioned something at the very end too, and that's just maintaining positivity and optimism. And I think that's something that can be, so hard to do occasionally during these long runs, especially when you're in the lows, but just reminding yourself how important it is to stay positive is a beautiful thing. And do you notice that with ultra running and your experience with being able to bring yourself out of the lows with positivity, that's helped you in your day-to-day life too, when it comes to dealing with those who are mean-spirited or will make comments about your alopecia? Has that helped? has running helped you respond in those situations too? Yeah, definitely. I feel like running is just such like a great, like healthy outlet. And I think especially with like ultras, it's like just enjoying it because you love it. Like not worrying about like paces, but rather like, no, I'm going to go run for two hours because like I love it and it's enjoyable. There's no pressure with it. You know, if I want to stop and like have a snack break, if I need to like walk a little bit, like there's no shame in that, but just like relentless forward progress and you're doing something like just because you love it so much and because it's fun 
And I think, yeah, like controlling your attitude, like there's so many things that like you can't control, like you can't control like the environment always, you can't control like what other people are doing with the one thing you always control is your attitude and like how you're responding and all of that. So like, you know, I'm going to choose positivity, I'm going to choose joy, because like, why am I going to, you know, have a bad attitude and put myself like in a negative situation when I'm the one who like, you know, has to deal with that. So like, why would I make it harder on myself? Um, And I just think, yeah, running is just like such a great empowering feeling and setting a goal that means so much to me makes it really easy to keep going and to stay positive. I think when you have a goal and like you set it for yourself because it means the most to you versus setting a goal because you want to, you know, be so-and-so. And there's nothing wrong with like being competitive and, you know, wanting to win and wanting to beat other people and things like that. But I think also like when your goal is for yourself, it makes it easy like to get up super early and train and like to stay positive because you have this thing that like means the most to you. And so I think like that also is like a big, a big component of it. Yeah, that's great. And it's just amazing to see how much positivity you do embody on a day-to-day life, whether it be just interactions with other people or through all your Instagram posts, even if there, it's a response to people who have been generally mean spirited, or you had a negative interaction at a grocery store and an outing, it's always been one of uh, being very real, but very positive as well. And I think that's a very incredible attribute of yours just to be able to process that and then take it and use it to your benefit and to be inspire others through it because recently i know you ran a marathon and you were featured in was it the new york times for an article um after one of these marathons in response to uh some comments you got on a photo um yes it was like people magazine the today show yeah it was like just several big news outlets after the london marathon last last april And that's super incredible. And it just goes to show that, you know, when you're true to yourself, you are embodying who you are and you respond with love and not hate. It it just goes a long way. And I just love to see that all these major news outlets have been able to tell your story as well. And you've been able to share it through those mediums as well. And speaking of sharing your story, you are also a published author in Chicken Soup for the Soul and some other sources as well. How has it been not just being able to share your story vocally, but also in the form of writing and through these books. You know, it has been just so incredible and like such like a full circle, like dream come true moment. I think of, you know, myself when I was a kid and just how, even like as like a teenager, really, there's how much I really struggled with my alopecia and how I always dreamed to get to a point in life where I was just like confident with it and I was okay with it. And I think to have my story out there, like I know I'm a role model. I know kids and teens and really a lot of people just like look up to me on so many levels. And I just take that responsibility like so seriously. And it's something that I'm so grateful for. And I think, you know, to be able to really relate with people, I think when I, you know, was a kid and people would say like, oh, I understand for me, that was like such a hard thing because I was like, you don't understand though. Like you have hair, like I appreciate what you're saying, but you don't understand. And I think now, you know, to say like, no, I do understand. Like I've walked that life. You know, I haven't had hair since I was two. I went through wigs. I went through bullying. Like I went through so many things. So to get to, you know, say that and to be a mentor and a friend and just like do so much. And I think just knowing, you know, when it's, you know, published, like it's there for forever. Like there's constantly times where someone will like go to Barnes and Noble and they're like, Hey, I see your story. It's in chicken soup. There it is. And it's just like so awesome to know it's like always there. 
Um, and yeah, I just hope it like helps encourage someone, whether, you know, it's alopecia or not. Cause I think, you know, a lot of us have things about ourselves that we maybe don't necessarily like, or that, you know, we kind of go through seasons where it's kind of like hard to deal with. And so I, you know, just hope even, you know, alopecia or not, that it can just be a source of like inspiration and hope to someone else, you know, that, yeah, it's like sometimes life kind of throws stuff at us that we don't really like, and it doesn't seem fair. But we also choose like how we respond and we can turn that into something really great. And yeah, I just hope it encourages people to like keep going and to stay true to themselves. And yeah. And for those who don't know, for the chicken soup, for the soul book, it's tough times don't last, but tough people do. And Lindsay <laughs> is one of the authors within that. And it's just such a cool book. It's compiled with amazing stories from people who have overcome adversity and have been able to be a light for others to follow and guide. And if I, you don't mind, Lizzie, I would like to read a little excerpt from the last bit of it, uh, it just to share with others through this podcast. Uh, but it's the last lines, the last few sentences of the Chicken Soup for the Soul book. It's, alopecia has been the greatest gift I never knew I needed. I now know I am beautiful and truly feel it. It is not, know what I, it is not what I look like that makes me beautiful, but being a good person, being kind, and always offering a smile and helping hand to someone in need. Yes, I am bald and I am beautiful. <laughs> that ending to it, how would the younger version of you respond to being able to say that now? Um, you know, honestly, I think she would be blown away and in disbelief um, because again, like, you know, growing up, I never thought my bald head was beautiful. I never thought it'd be something that I'm grateful for, that I would say, like, I've learned so much from it. You know, it's the greatest gift I never knew I needed. Like, my younger self never thought that and, you know, never would have said that. But, like, to see, like, where I am now and just, like, all I've gotten to accomplish and the way I've gotten to share my story she would just be so proud and just be like, yes, like we reached our dream, like, you know, like finish lines and running and all of that is great. But to also be able to like share a message of just like hope and positivity and, you know, to be that person for someone else that I needed when I was younger to me that like, there is no race medal or hundred mile belt buckle that can compare to that feeling of just being a mentor and helping some, someone else. Yeah. That must be such a special feeling. And to be able to look at it in hindsight that way uh, is really incredible too, because when you're in the moment and you're in those t trying times, you don't necessarily see the, the light at the end of the tunnel in some ways. And then to be able to be at that point where you get to reflect from a positive standpoint, is, it is truly remarkable. And speaking of being able to uh, reach out to others and to bring up people who have been in a similar situation or are in a similar situation, you have started something which I find awe-inspiring, and that's Lindsay's Little Pals. And I would love for you to tell us more about this and uh, and how you came up with the idea. Yeah, so Lindsay's Little Pals is a pen pal program for kids and teens and really now adults, really anyone with alopecia in any form, um, areata, which is, you know, where you can lose part of your hair, and then it might all grow back, you might lose it all, and it could grow back within, you know, a year, five years, you may never lose it again. That's just the kind that's very unpredictable, or universalis, which is the kind I have, and that's total body hair, it's where you lose it and it's never coming back. Um, but yeah, just really anyone who has alopecia in any form. And it's just been incredible. I have pen pals all over the country and we've even extended to the world, which is crazy. 
Um, but yeah, it's really, I'm super old school. I love writing. I've always loved writing letters. I love getting mail. There's just something like so special about that. I feel like in a, you know, today where everything is like so digital, you know, sending emails and text messages and all that. There's just something really special about getting a letter, you know, the extra step that that takes that like, oh, wow, someone is like really thinking of me. Like they wrote me a letter. And so I just had always loved that and just really wanted to connect with people kind of like all over the world. And again, just to be like that mentor and friend and just kind of help in any way. I think, you know, having walked with alopecia my basically entire life, like I know what it's like. So being able to really relate to kids and teens and say like, you know, alopecia isn't always fun. It's like not always easy. You're going to have times where it's really hard. And to be able to write that and really like share experiences and not just say like, I understand like, yes, it's hard, but to be like, no, I, I, you know, walked that life. I get it. Um, and just the connections that I've had. Um, but yeah, just anyone with alopecia in any form and the connections have just grown so much. The program has grown so much and it's just been really awesome. Again, just to be that person that I needed when I was younger, I think had I had someone even just like writing a letter to me saying, you know, I have alopecia too. Like I'm here for you. I just know that would have helped me so much to not feel isolated and to not feel lonely. Um, and so, yeah, just trying to help uh, just be that resource and advocate that I, th- that I can. And letters are so tangible because you don't just read it, you feel it too. And you really mm-hmm. feel the presence of that person who wrote it. And to be able to do that for young kids and teens who are going through something similar to what you did is almost like you're walking that, trying time with them and being able to inspire them right alongside where they're walking in the current time that they are going through. And uh, I've always really loved seeing that and you starting that up and uh, also seeing all the posts on Instagram about it too. It's, it's been really <laughs> awesome to see Lindsay's little pals you know, keep going. I'm sure that's something you probably want to continue for a long time to come as part of your legacy. Yes. Yes, definitely. I hope and it so continues to that, grow. Yeah, definitely. And Speaking, too, of being able to have a global reach, I know with Lindsay's Little Pals now, that's been something you have now been able to actualize is reaching people not just here on the home front, but also abroad as well. Uh, but in terms of recognition on your end, you were also recognized recently and you were a recipient of the Shiro Award, which is such an honor and really cool. It's a notable thing. And I want would love for you to tell us more about the Shiro Award, uh, what the entire experience embodies and how just it was going over there to receive it yeah um so i was nominated for a global shearer award um it's just any woman who you know is doing work like in her community whatever that looks like and i just remember you know i got this like email saying that you've been nominated i was like wow like that's awesome and it you know was like fill out this application and this questionnaire and submit a video and it was like a very tedious process But I was like, okay, like, why not? And so I shared about, you know, mostly like Lindsay's Little Pals was like a good, um, yeah, just I talked a lot about that and just like my work with that, Um, obviously with running as well. And then I found out that I made the top 10, again, global. So it was crazy to kind of get that email and like that notification. And, you know, it would say like your first name and where you're from. And there's people from, you know, Italy and Australia and Zimbabwe, Tanzania. And so just to think of like, global is just so even now is like so like mind-blowing to me and just to think of like the world and it was just like such an incredible honor you know after that to kind of then go through like the next round you had like you know panel judging and you had to write a speech and just like so much like other stuff but it 
was just incredible to go to Manchester to get to represent like alopecia and the running community and everyone who has like a visible difference. I honestly was like not expecting to win at all. And when they said my name, I was just truly like so just blown away. I remember just kind of walking the carpet like up to the stage and all I could think of like was my pen pals and just like that like trophy and that moment and everything like was for them and it was you know for my younger self to look at like where we are now and everything that like we've done and to just get to represent like so much more than myself it was just such an incredible honor and I think also just bringing light and awareness to alopecia you know a lot of people don't know what alopecia is and so I think you know when you see a bald head you just kind of assume things but saying like no you know there are other reasons like why someone cannot have hair So again, even everything like after the London Marathon, you know, where my story was out there from so many major news sources, it also was like such a great opportunity to educate on alopecia and bring awareness to that. And also share that, you know, it's so much more than just your hair. Like, yes, that's something easy to say. But you know, until you've lost your hair, you don't know like how attached you are to it. And it's not just the hair in your head. It's, you know, your eyebrows and your eyelashes and just like so many things. And like, there's nothing wrong with, you know, like loving your hair and, you know, styling it and spending money on that and like all of that. Cause I'm sure if I had hair, I would, you know, probably love it and, you know, feel the exact same way. But it's also, you know, being empathetic, like towards someone else and saying like, you know, like put yourself like in their shoes and kind of and think of like what that could possibly feel like, you know, to always look different than everyone else. And so I think, yeah, just the opportunity to like bring awareness to alopecia, but it truly was just such a special night, such a special moment. I will just like never forget and just like cherish that like so much. Yeah. And it's such a, it's a culmination of so many years of hard work and dedication and trial, error, overcoming adversity, being resilient. And to then stand on that stage and be in the presence of all those people who are celebrating everything that you've done, it's a feeling that I almost probably would never even be able to describe. I mean, it it is such an otherworldly thing to experience, I'm sure. And uh, to actually be there standing front and center and winning that award is incredible. So I'm very ecstatic for you that you're able to win that. And then, of course, I know that award itself Uh, The tangible award doesn't mean as much to you as what it actually embodies and means and its significance and everything that went into that award, you know, in the years leading up. So pretty special thing. And I'm very excited that you won that. And I know it's also not going to be the last thing that you do, because I know you have plenty of plans to keep inspiring and motivating (laughs) others. Do you have anything in terms of speeches or writings in the works that you're able to share with us now that you've got uh, coming up soon? Yes. Um, so I was asked to give a TED Talk. And, you know, we've had some rescheduling just, you know, given the pandemic and kind of everything just kind of got put on hold. And, you know, I want to do it in person. I had the opportunity to kind of do it virtual. And I just didn't think that would like be the same. Um, so we've like worked on finalizing a date, I think just with like how busy like life is and all the races that I've added on and stuff like that. Um, so details on that coming very soon, uh, when I can share about where that's going to be and all that stuff. Um, but that's like such an incredible honor. I think it also is like such incredible timing. I think there's a reason as to why it kept getting like pushed off and pushed off because now I have like so much more to share. Um, so much more I want to talk about. I think, you know, doing six days, like, that's going to be something that I like want to talk about the Shearer award and like so much more that I can add to it to make it like an even better speech. 
um, yes, I'm just really excited and grateful for that opportunity. Um, yeah, but that's like a, a, a big thing coming up. <laughs> yeah, and TED Talks are you know known around the world. And just to be able to be on that stage with so many other incredible speakers and, you know, virtuosos in their own fields, it's really an awesome experience. And I'm very excited to when that <laughs> will be official because I want to attend for sure myself <laughs> if I can. <laughs> Thank you. I'd be, I'd be so honored. <laughs> And to step back a little bit too, back into the the running world, uh, when did you decide to run your first marathon? Because when you first took your wig off in a full marathon or the first time you never, or you didn't have the wig for your marathon at Rock and Roll San Diego, that was not your first marathon. It was of many marathons later. How did you actually get into marathon running and what was the reason behind wanting to try and tackle that challenge? Um, yeah, so I played basketball in college. Basketball like was my sport. I was not a runner. I never did track across country. I went to college in Duluth, Minnesota, where there's grandma's marathon. And I had, you know, watched it every summer with my friends cheering on the marathoners and thought, Oh, wow, like running a marathon. That's so cool. I would love to cross that off my bucket list. I think also, I'm just so internally motivated and driven and just competitive within myself. And so my senior year, you know, we had basketball and then we had postseason. I was like, I'm going to sign up and run grandma's marathon. I, you know, didn't really train that well. I didn't drink any water during it. Just kind of ran it. I can't say like on a whim because I did run a little bit, but like it definitely was like not prepared. But anyways, um, I just remember everything about grandma's marathon, my very first marathon, just like the running community and just like how embraced and like welcomed I felt. And just again, like, from going from team sports, always having teammates, you know, you're having a terrible shooting game, but someone's having a great game. Whereas in running, like it's you, like you're the one who has to do the miles. You're the one that has to do the work. It's you, you know, getting to the finish line. I just remember kind of coming in the home stretch, just like the crowds of people, everyone cheering the feeling of like crossing that finish line. Like, wow, like I did that. Like I ran 26.2 miles. It just was such an incredible, like self-fulfilling feeling. And I knew once I was done with basketball, I knew I wanted to take up marathon running and so, you know, I started researching, like, how to train for marathons and kind of all of that. But there was just something about running that I really loved. I loved that it was me, like, doing the work and how empowering that felt. And it wasn't about, like, in the beginning, it wasn't about, like, time or anything like that for me. But just, like, enjoying it so much. I still, yes, very much so was, like, struggling and kind of hiding my alopecia. But when I was running, I just, I wasn't thinking about that. But just, like, how free I felt through running. I also liked the idea of like being in a different city where like no one knew me and like I didn't have to talk about my alopecia and I was just, you know, there to run. And so we just had like you come together with all of these strangers with like one common goal of, you know, finishing the race. And so I really loved that. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, I just like loved everything about running. And then the more I was running, the more confidence I was having in myself and just, you know, getting better and getting faster and just learning so much more. And so that's really where it carried over into like something more than like just, I mean, still enjoying it, but like just like differently now. Um, but yeah, that's how I started running. <laughs> so yeah, but the, the camaraderie that you get at these races is something that I fell in love with too, just because you start as strangers and then you end as friends over the course of 26.2 miles. And like you, I made a lot of mistakes my first marathon i was severely dehydrated i wore a bathing suit for my first marathon and <laughs> i just was not thinking at all about some things that could happen over the course of that many miles as a repercussions to wearing that but 
ultimately at the end of it, I fell in love with it too. And, you know, it's just become a lifestyle choice now by this point. And it's great to be able to share that with you too, because, you know, we've been involved in these runs, marathons and ultras for, for many, many years now. And when it comes to going into further distances, when did you make that choice to want to try your first ultra? And then how did your body respond to running higher mileage during that race? Yeah. So, um, when the pandemic hit and they canceled Boston mentally, that was just like so hard for me just because I was so excited. Like training was going so well. I felt like in peak shape and was just like ready to crush it. And so, you know, I had always heard about like a hundred miler and I was like, wow, like that sounds cool. I had ran a 50 K before, um, so I mean, just a little more than a marathon. Um, but I also knew like, that's what I had to do. I knew mentally I needed something to really challenge and to push myself. It was down in South Carolina, which was a lot more open, um, in, you know, versus North Carolina where I'm at in ultras. I was like, you know, there's not going to be a ton of people versus a marathon. So I didn't think it was going to cancel. And so I just, found a 100 and like reached out to the race director and was like, Hey, do you think this race is going to cancel? He's like, Nope, we're not, we're not canceling it. So I was like, okay, perfect. And then I just like signed up. And I think again, with the 100, there's so much information out there. And I think the best thing is to just trial and error and just try it yourself and see what works for you because what works for you, like doesn't work for someone else and kind of vice versa. But yeah, there's so much like good information. I just started researching like how to train and like how to run a hundred miles. Um, but there was just something like so exciting about a hundred miles. Like I, it's so overwhelming and like crazy to think of, but I just like, couldn't wait. I knew like, no matter what happened during that race, like I knew that I was going to finish. Like, even if I had to like crawl, like I just knew there was no way I wasn't going to finish. And I remember like everything about that race from, we had like a crazy tornado in the distance. Like we had downpours. And I just remember like when all of that was happening, I was just one of the few people that still kept running. A lot of people stopped and like took breaks and were just cheering me on. And it was incredible, but like, it was never a thought in my mind to be like, Oh, like, should I seek shelter? Like, should I stop? I just knew like, I wanted to get to that finish line. And it just, again, like something about being like, no, I'm the one that ran a hundred miles, like relentless forward progress, like the same thing. And I just, yeah, I just knew there was no way I was like going to quit on myself. Obviously I learned so much, you know, I, really didn't fuel properly. I didn't hydrate properly. I finished in 24 hours, which, you know, is like a respectable time for like my first 100. But again, it was just like getting that belt buckle and just feeling like so proud of myself and just like the mental toughness it took to like keep going, especially, you know, in those kind of elements and like in that environment. Um, but I was just like hooked on ultras after that. I mean, I love the marathon in the community, but like after doing an ultra, it's just so different. Um, yeah, I just knew like ultras were for me. And so, um, you know, I have always loved like high mileage, the long run for me. It's just so enjoyable. I think sometimes I don't even start my watch. I don't even run with the watch sometimes. And I think like it just allows me to enjoy it, to not worry about pace. I'm not, you know, comparing myself to anyone else because I feel like that can also be such a challenge with running. I think especially like when I, you know, was doing just like a ton of marathons, it's really easy to like, you know, look at your time and like, you know, feel frustrated by that when you're like, no, like I should be proud of myself. You know, I'm working hard and doing all of that, but you know, you look at your pace and it maybe isn't like what you want. Whereas with an ultra, like you're going for time on feet, like, yes, 
you know, there are certain times where you are looking at pace, but like overall, like for me, it's just like fun and it's enjoyable. And so to be like, okay, I'm going to go run for three hours. Like I just have no pressure. And like, I'm like, if I need to stop, like then I stop, like there's no shame in that. And I just think ultras have just opened up my love for running so much just because of like how fun it is. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I started with it with a hundred miler. <laughs> And key words, relentless forward progress. And that's something that many embody within the ultra space is just to put one foot in front of the other, no matter how hard it gets mentally and or physically, just having that mentality of being able to push through regardless is something that is almost second to none and integral when it comes to finishing these races and to be able to go through arduous times. And I will say for your first hundred to be able to do it in 24 hours with inclement weather like that and tornado <laughs> warnings, that just adds to the remarkable nature of what it was. So uh, pretty amazing that you're able to get it done in that kind of a time and get the buckle and finish when most people probably did not want anything to do with that day out on the course. <laughs> so pretty impressive uh, to, to say the least. Uh, but also, so more recently too, I would love to, because this was something that you did within the past few weeks, and I just thought was exceptional, and that is you won a 40-mile race at the end of a long training week with high mileage. Describe how it feels now to be at the point where you can put in really high mileage throughout the week and then toe the line for a race and not just finish it, but win, too. That is such a cool feeling and, and thing to be able to accomplish. So how now does that feel being able to do that and to feel good afterwards too? Yeah, it is just such an incredible feeling. I think it's just a huge testament of like months of just like putting in the work like day in and day out. Like there's runs that, you know, feel really hard and like, you know, don't always go the way you want. But to know like I just never quit on myself and I just like keep going and keep pushing myself and just, yeah, like hard work. Like you, you can't run 80 miles just like on, on a whim. Like, you know, you have to like build up to that. And I think just like, yeah, looking back, like, you know, after I did six days last year, I took some time off and, you know, just started like running again. And I knew I wanted to, you know, get to a point where I could like be running over a hundred mile weeks and be feeling good. But, you know, like my first run back, I did like a walk run for 45 minutes and, you know, it was a very humbling feeling. Um, but I also knew like where I wanted to be. And I just had this like huge goal. And I mean, I knew I was going to get there. I just knew I had to like put in the work and to see like months of hard work, just kind of like reaping the benefits of that now to be able to run like that and to be like feeling good, you know, to get to a start line and to win it. I think like that just like really meant a lot. I really felt proud of myself. I had, you know, kind of like a emotional week kind of like leading up to that, just dealing again with some people just like not really being nice, making some comments about like Malapisha and just kind of feeling a little down and like frustrated with that. And so I saw this like 40 miler kind of like pop up on my Facebook and was like, okay, like that's pretty close to Charlotte. Like, why don't I just go and run it? I was already at, you know, like pretty much like 80 miles for the week. And so I was like, okay, let's just throw on the 40 on Sunday. Um, And I think too, like that also was just like such a gratifying feeling of just like, you know, not allowing anything to stop me. And just like, what a beautiful gift running is that, you know, like, I've had something that's kind of hard to deal with, but like, I get to go out and run and like, what a great and healthy outlet that is. And so the win like really meant a lot for like several reasons. Um, But yeah, it just makes me like extra grateful that like I am a runner and I do have like the opportunity. um, And then I'm healthy and just kind of yeah, all of that. 
definitely. And you're, you're changing the, the narrative from one of I have to run to I get to run. And then just reminding yourself about all the amazing things that have come as a result of running and just how much you have uh, changed and enhanced as a person through this running journey uh, and reminding yourself at the end of the day, just that, that gratitude factor is, is so important. And that's something that you've inspired me, especially with as well, just to always hold on to that gratitude and to be thankful for the experience in itself, because ultimately it's just a gift to be able to do it. And uh, thank you for that reminder, because I think everybody could, should be able to hear that and, or need to hear that from time to time, because it's it's never always easy. There's always going to be some hard <laughs> moments and within ultras, especially they, there will always be some sort of a low during the races beforehand, afterwards, whatever it may be. So thank you for that reminder. Uh, and also, too, when it comes to the high mileage and being able to do this, uh, do you do active recovery and or ways to cross train that help you build up for these uh, future events after you complete these ultras? Yeah. Um, so I stretch and foam roll and do band work, yoga every day, um, twice a day. And I feel like, you know, sometimes like, do I always want to stretch after a run? Absolutely not. I'm like tired and I like just want to be done with it. But I'm like, you know, if I just take like the 10, 15 minutes and do it now, like, knowing that, you know, I've been able to run, like I've been able to like not have any injuries or anything like that. Just, you know, like, like, it's kind of like a no brainer. Like, why would I not take the extra time and just kind of do stuff like that when I know like, there's so much benefits to, you know, yoga, stretching, foam rolling, all of that kind of stuff. Um, the, the Stairmaster is also something that I really enjoy. I think such a physical, like, you know, underutilized training tool. There's just so many benefits to it. Um, also like the mental challenge that it is as well, like to stay on the Stairmaster for like an extended period of time that helps you so much like come ultras, especially like if I know I have like a longer run, I'll do the Stairmaster the day before. So I'm running on tired legs just to kind of simulate that, but like in a different way. Um, but I would say, yeah, those are like my like two, two biggest things. Yeah, that's great. And I will be one of the first to tell you that I struggle sometimes with the recovery aspect and doing active recovery. Uh, but Stairmaster, one of my all-time favorite machines. <laughs> I know you have done an incredible amount of time on the Stairmasters. What's the longest time you have spent on a Stairmaster in one single go? So six hours. <laughs> wow. Yep. <laughs> That is, yes, that's another level of relentless forward progress because it's just you and a machine <laughs> and your mind. And that is what mm -hmm. you have for six hours. What was your approach to being on that machine for that amount of time? Yeah, so I knew I wanted to get in like a super big kind of workout on the Stairmaster like that. Um, and so yeah, I just kind of knew that. And you like going into it, I was like, you know, just take it one hour at a time. And that's like what I did. And honestly, like, it went by quicker than like what I thought it would. Um, and I think like I had sports center on in the background, I had music on, I had podcasts going. And so I just tried to not really look at the time, but rather just like keep going, like keep moving forward. I also find like, 
I enjoy really making like a pattern with like different elevation. I think like that keeps me like super engaged with it. Whereas, you know, if you're only walking at the same level, like that can, you know, make it go by really slow. Whereas, you know, if I'm like changing it up and, you know, making like a pattern with it, then it like goes by a lot quicker. So I did that a lot and that really helped me too. And I think also just doing something that I know is like such a challenge, like makes me so excited. Like I live for challenges and I love challenges. And I think again, it's like me versus me, uh, which is something that I loved. Um, But yeah, I just thought of it as like, a great opportunity to like try it. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah, that's six hours. <laughs> yeah. And, and just to, to even think about six hours on a Stairmaster is something that I haven't even thought about attempting in the past until you did it. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, you know what, maybe I should give it a go. Maybe at some point you'll, you'll see me try to attempt something like that. Cause yes. that, that's really incredible. <laughs> and I know you mentioned the me versus me aspect of the Stairmaster is that part of the reason why you started running super early in the morning for training runs? Was that to try and get yourself to have that challenge of me versus me? And then it became something that uh, you almost couldn't live without in the morning runs because a lot of people have a hard time getting up super early, me included, with <laughs> training runs. So how, how did that come about when it came to the really early miles in the dark when nobody else is up? You know, that is my absolute favorite time to run. I think there is just something, you know, where it's like peaceful and it's quiet and it's dark. And it's just like me, like there's literally no one else. Like I rarely ever see anyone. If I do, I'm like, oh, that's kind of sketch. Like why is someone else out here? Um, But I think I just like love that feeling so much of just like the quiet and the stillness and just like knowing like I'm putting in this work like for myself and just like how good I feel after and now it's just become yeah so ingrained like it's just part of a lifestyle it's just like what I do like I mean first of all like I don't sleep in but even if I did like I couldn't run later I definitely force myself to you know thinking ahead to six days I do force myself to run in the afternoons just because you know and the race you're gonna be running at different times I force myself to run at night I mean I don't enjoy that I just love running first thing in the morning but I know like the mental side of that again going back to you know I'm doing this in training so coming to the race you know I've like put in the work I know what to expect but I think yeah just like that early morning run it's like the best way to start the day my mind is like clear and it's just my time to like think and process but then also just to you know, run and just like enjoy it and think like, what an incredible gift this is. Like I get to do this, which is something that, you know, not everyone can say. So I think it's like starting my day with like so much gratitude. Um, but yeah, I just, I couldn't imagine not starting my day with like a very, very early run. <laughs> and then you get the day started off literally and figuratively on the right foot. And yes. <laughs> I think that's a simple thing and to carry that momentum with you through the rest of the day and the weeks and years to come, everything compounds and it becomes something that when you look back years from now, it was such a, you know, amazing thing to have that consistency with training and being able to put in those hours and time when it was really early. And maybe even sometimes when you didn't want to lace up the shoes and you did it anyways, uh, it's a, uh, you know, you find power in that. And that's a spectacular thing to to, to come and realize. And I really wanted to thank you too, for sharing some of your, your wisdom on running and whether it be marathons to ultras, Stairmaster, you name it. I think a lot of people could take from your wisdom and experience in these races, especially if they're just starting out and wanting to try marathons, even half marathons, 10 Ks and get themselves into it because uh, just having that mentality of always wanting to get better and 
own their circumstances, I think is really cool. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, to end off too, I really wanted to thank you for uh, sharing your entire story as well from at two years old, getting alopecia and then having the internal and external battles that come with it and then overcoming with resiliency, uh, you know, to be able to take off the wig and run and be your whole self in front of everybody and then in turn inspire millions of people. It is super amazing. It's an honor to talk to you. And I'm so happy that you were my first guest on this podcast. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for being here. And before we end this, I wanted to give you the you know, the platform and time to say anything you would like to say for anyone who is struggling with a battle internally or externally or trying to overcome something that is hard and trying times, what advice would you give to them if they don't necessarily see the light at the end of the tunnel and they're looking for some sense of hope to hold on to? Yeah, I think two things kind of come to mind right away with that. I think one of the biggest things is that it's okay to not be okay. Like it's okay to admit that like, this is really hard and this is a challenge and, you know, I'm not super happy with it. I think like admitting that and just feeling okay with that, like not everything is always going to be like sunshine and rainbows. Like there are going to be like hard seasons and like, that's okay. And it's okay to admit that like, you're just like not super happy with like what's going on right now. So just like feel your feelings um, because there's no way that you can grow from that if you're not willing to admit that like you're struggling with something. So I think like that's the biggest thing. And that also like, you know, just know that you're not alone. Like everyone struggles with something. I think, you know, in social media and just in life, you know, you see like, you know, everyone, you know, is most of the time kind of painting like their accomplishments and like all of the happiness, which like is great. But like, we also don't know the whole story to everyone's life. And so I think like, you know, people are like, oh, I wish I was like so-and-so or like, I wish I had that. But like, you don't know like the full story. And so like not to get so like wrapped up in comparing yourself to other people. And then also just, you know, if you want to like make that change, whatever that is, and if it's something that's like important to you, then like you need to do it. And like, it's not going to be easy, but like just thinking of like where you want to be and like, you know, who's important to you, like surround yourself with like positive people that are going to inspire and encourage you and that like you can lean on, like you don't want to, you know, have a community that you know, like makes you feel bad about yourself or like makes you feel judged, like belittled or anything like surround yourself towards, you know, positive people who inspire you and who give you hope. And I think like setting a goal and like working hard for that, you know, like you can have like this huge goal, but like also starting off with something small and just kind of like baby steps to that. Um, and then, yeah, just like putting in the work to accomplish like whatever that goal is and like whatever you want to do and that change you want to make, like it starts with you internally because no one can make that change except for you. So admitting that goal or, you know, admitting that struggle to yourself and then, you know, doing what you need to do, surrounding yourself with the people that you need to, to like eventually reach that goal. And to just think of like, you know, and when you do get there or like when it does get hard as you're like going through the process, just thinking back to like where you started and feeling like proud of yourself. I think kind of, you know, when we were talking about running before, just, you know, like small little baby steps, like setting those small goals along the way, like the increments of it, you know, just kind of take it, you know, step by step and you'll eventually get there. Um, but yeah, just being brave and having the courage to try as, as well. And that's beautiful. And thank you for your perspective. 
for your courage, your ability to inspire not just myself, but so many others. And I am so excited for all what you have to come in your own life, whether it be six days in the dome or TED Talks, which we're very excited to hear about official date when it does come about. But thank you for being on as my first guest. This is Give Rise Podcast, episode one. Lindsay, you were great. Thank you. I am looking forward to talking with you more. And I hope everyone who is listening can take all, all these things and be able to apply it to their own lives and be able to lead each day with conviction and knowledge and wisdom and the belief that things will either get better or can just be so amazing, whether you're struggling or whether you're facing adversity, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel and there's always something powerful you can make from it. So thank you, Lindsay. I really appreciate you being on and being my first guest. I'm sure I will have you on at some point again. I cannot wait for that next conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor and yeah, just super, super grateful. Thank you. And everyone listening, this is Give Rise Podcast Episode 1. I will catch you next time.